following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. So it's sermon time. And uh, I'm not going to lie, this, is, this has been pretty weird for me trying to preach in this way. As much as it is true that I have been very pleasantly surprised at how much we can actually engage over video, I still do find this part of it a little bit surreal. Um, I am glad that we, st- we did get to do communion last week, though, and that was, that was very nice. I see the communion elements here. I have them ready for us. We're going to do that again today. So at some point, uh, when the sermon gets boring, <laughs> um, you can maybe find yourself uh, the closest thing you have in your house to bread and wine, and that could be um, any number of things. We are uh, trusting in lots of, uh, lots of sacramental um, mercy <laughs> when it comes to what we use. We have these um, these uh, communion sealed communion elements that we'll use here. Those of us who are in the artisan sanctuary. Anyway, uh, what I've begun to realize, uh, if I didn't know it before, is how much I actually rely on the responses that I get in the room when I'm teaching or preaching. Um, so how much I might linger on a point if it seems to be going well, or skip past a point if it seems to be not landing well. And um, I think that that makes everybody's experience better. And I can't quite do that in this setting. So I'm probably going to be a little bit or maybe a lot bit less interesting to listen to. And I'm also cognizant of how much harder it must be to stay engaged when watching a sermon online. So as a result, I've tended to be a little bit shorter in the sermon content up to this point. And that's a bit of a bummer for today's sermon, because this is one of the topics that I would really love to be able to spend a lot more time on. It's one of those parts of the deconstruction project that I have been most looking forward to since we sketched out this series months ago now. So way more uh, time leading up to this than typically for a sermon topic. I've been looking forward to this particular one. And it's, it's about one of the most important and central challenges that we might face in our experience of deconstruction, which is how and when... Do we adjust our understanding of what the Bible means? And why would we do something like that? So I I feel uh, a little bit cheated out of the opportunity to do that sermon in the room with you and I can all kind of, and I can see how you're responding to it. But obviously, um, as with so many other things, it's important to remember that we're facing challenges that are much bigger than that. So let's just dive right into it, and I hope that I'll be able to handle it with as much skill as possible, and I hope that you'll have the grace for me in any way that I fall short. In fact, uh, that is my prayer right now. God, would you please give us all the grace to think about this, to make sense of it, even in the midst of all the enormous challenges we are facing as a society right now. Amen. So um, the Bible story for today is from Acts 15. And I'm just realizing that I was planning to read that before I started the sermon, and I didn't do it. So um, if you want to refer to that text, if you want to read it along with me, you can get a Bible out and open up to Acts chapter 15, or you can look one up online. Honestly, if you just Googled Acts 15, you'd get 10 results that would work for you right on the first page. You can go to BibleGateway.com and call it up. I'm reading it from the NRSV translation, New Revised Standard Version. And so uh, if yours is a little different, don't sweat it. It's okay. So uh, since I have the opportunity to say this, let me give you a one-sentence summary of this story before we read it. The early Christians, who were all Jews, made the decision not to require full adherence to the Jewish law for non-Jewish people who converted to Christianity. 
So the early Christians who were all Jews made the decision in this story not to require full adherence to the Jewish law for non-Jewish people who converted to Christianity. Now, it may not be immediately clear to you why that matters. I will unpack it after I read the text. This is Acts 15, and I'm going to read the first, I think, like 21 verses. It's a little bit of a longer passage, but um, I think you'll enjoy it. Certain individuals came down from Judea and were teaching the brothers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom of Moses, you cannot be saved. And after Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and debate with them, Paul and Barnabas and some of the others were appointed to go up to Jerusalem to discuss this question with the apostles and the elders. <coughs> Excuse me. So they were sent on their way by the church, and as they passed through both Phoenicia and Samaria, they reported the conversion of the Gentiles and brought great joy to all the believers. When they came to Jerusalem, they were welcomed by the church and the apostles and the elders, and they reported all that God had done with them. But some believers who belonged to the sect of the Pharisees stood up and said, It is necessary for them to be circumcised and ordered to keep the law of Moses. The apostles and the elders met together to consider this matter. After there had been much debate, Peter stood up and said to them, My brothers, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that I should be the one through whom the Gentiles would hear the message of the good news and become believers. And God, who knows the human heart, testified to them by giving them the Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. And in cleansing their hearts by faith, he has made no distinction between them and us. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing on the neck of the disciples a yoke that neither our ancestors nor we have been able to bear? On the contrary, we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus, just as they will. The whole assembly kept silence and listened to Paul and Barnabas as they told of all the signs and wonders that God had done through them among the Gentiles. After they finished speaking, James replied, My brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first looked favorably on the Gentiles to take from among them a people for his name. This agrees with the words of the prophets as it is written. And here he's quoting from Amos, chapter 9. After this I will return, and I will rebuild the dwelling of David which has fallen. From its ruins I will rebuild it, and I will set it up so that other peoples may seek the Lord, even all the Gentiles over whom my name has been called. Thus says the Lord, who has been making these things known from long ago. James goes on to say this. Therefore, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble those Gentiles who are turning to God. But we should write to them to abstain only from things polluted by idols and from fornication and from whatever has been strangled and from blood. For in every city for generations past, Moses has had those who proclaim him, for he has been read aloud every Sabbath in the synagogues. So it gets a little strange there at the end, and uh, that's okay. So, if you didn't know this about Christian history, th these early Christians were all entirely Jewish. Their, their whole lives had been spent worshiping in the temple, observing the law of Moses as best they could, although you get some indication from Peter that they hadn't done a very good job of it, of being steeped in the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament, and of anticipating the Jewish Messiah. Now, they believed that Jesus had come to earth and was that Messiah, 
And so it made complete sense to them that Christianity was not in fact a new religion, but just the fulfillment of their existing religion, their old religion. So they kept observing Jewish laws and rituals. They kept reading the sacred Jewish texts. They kept going to Jewish synagogues and to the temple. And included in these laws and rituals and sacred texts and rules about the temple were many restrictions and even prohibitions against Gentiles participating. But before long, God began to work among these Gentiles, and many of them converted to become Christians. And when they did, there was evidence of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, what was later came to be known as the gifts of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit, which um, was mentioned in Pastor Jesse's children's moment not long ago. So the early Christians had a dilemma to sort out. They had a problem to solve, which was this. How Jewish does a Christian have to be? I'll pause here and just say, I want to acknowledge the fact that there has been a lot of anti-Semitism that has come out of Christian theology over the centuries. And when you talk, when I talk about something like this, that, that places this distinction between Jews and Gentiles, I want to make sure that you know I'm not trying to contribute to that, uh, that I'm speaking to the Christian side of this story, because that's the tradition that I'm part of. So these early Christians were trying to figure out how Jewish does a Christian have to be, and that problem, that story, has a slow burn all through the book of Acts, which is the story of the early church, but it especially happens um, in chapters 8 through 17, and Acts 15, which I've just read to you, is where it reaches its peak. Um, I would love, in fact, and James, who's the leader of the church in Jerusalem, the brother of Jesus, too, makes his decision. And I think that this leads to what I find to be one of the most heartwarming statements in the entire Bible. When James says, I have reached the decision that we should not trouble the Gentiles. We should, in other translations, it says, we should not make it difficult for Gentiles who are turning to God. Here's why I think this story is so important. Because it shows us the people of God experiencing the pain that happens when the Holy Spirit starts stretching them beyond their biblical understanding. Now, I can't emphasize this enough. The people who were opposed to allowing the Gentiles to become Christians without also becoming or first becoming observant Jews, those people were not like just innately mean or awful. They were devout religious people who believed that they were following the requirements of the Bible and of their religious tradition. And by the way, it's not even that they didn't want to allow Gentiles to convert. It's just that they didn't even think that the conversion could be real or complete unless and until it included uh, submission to the laws and rituals of their religious tradition. But what the church ultimately decided to do, and it took a great deal of debate. I mean, the words were kind of gentle in there, but there's a lot of dissension and debate mentioned in this passage. Uh, And we're a church filled with Enneagram 9s who don't like that kind of thing. And if you don't know what that means, don't worry about it. Um, But what the church eventually decided to do was to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God led them away from their old beliefs into a new understanding. Now, that didn't mean that they suddenly didn't believe in the authority of Scripture. It did not mean that they suddenly didn't believe in the authority of Scripture. It just meant that they came to understand the meaning of the Scripture in a new way. 
And by the way, we should not be surprised when we experience um, an evolution or a progression of our thought, of our ethics, of our religious practice, of our understanding of the nature of God, because we see that, sign, that same kind of evolution and progression of thought happening right in the Bible. I can give you a bunch of examples, but I don't have time. We can talk about it some other time, though. Uh, suffice it to say that there's evidence right in the pages of the Bible that we claim as our authority of people uh, shifting and transitioning and evolving in their understanding of who God is and what the world is. So the title of this sermon, ostensibly, uh, was um, The Spirit of God Versus the Word of God. Um, but that's that's sort of a, a facetious title. This isn't really about a verses at all. It's not one thing pitted against the other. If we find ourselves pitting the Holy Spirit against the Holy Scriptures, um, I, th- I think we, we're going to be in um, a different type of crisis. What actually is happening is the Spirit is revealing to the people of God in this story um, what the original meaning of the Scriptures was all along and what God's design for the world was all along. So here's something that's implicit implicit in the story of Acts 15, something that's really sad, but which will be surprising to exactly zero people. The Bible has been used as the reason for excluding certain people or certain classes of people for as long as we've had a Bible. The Bible has been used as a reason to exclude people of other religions, to exclude people with disabilities, to exclude uh, people who are left-handed. <laughs> Believe it or not, there's stuff in there. Most pointedly, perhaps for many in our community, the Bible's been used to exclude LGBTQ people. And just the language that we use um, and the categories that we think of now didn't didn't exist in biblical times in the same way that they do now, but that hasn't stopped people uh, from excluding others um, who are part of those groups of people, using the Bible as their reasoning. So the thing is, you actually don't have to work very hard to find a reason to exclude someone based on the Bible. Um, There's lots of precedent for that. God's people have often misunderstood, I think, what God was trying to do in the world. But at some point, we have to ask ourselves as Christian people, for those of us who claim that title, is this what Jesus is calling us to? Is this what, the, what we see the Holy Spirit doing in the New Testament and in church history and in the world around us today? Or do we instead see evidence that God's doors are being opened wider, that the gates to heaven will never be shut, as it says in the book of Revelation? And if that's the case, then I think we have to ask ourselves, why have we been so quick to use the Bible in this unloving, and I would say anti-God way? Is it possible that we have been using scripture as an excuse to endorse our own bigotry? Is it possible that we have twisted scripture to get it to say what we want it to say? which is an accusation that is lobbed at people who tend to be, want to be more inclusive, especially of gender and sexual minorities. You're just twisting scripture to get it to say what you want it to say. Uh, and I admit that it gives me some joy to lob that back in the direction from which it came and to say, 
No, I think bigotry is built into the human condition. And I think perhaps when we use scripture uh, to exclude people, we are twisting scripture to get it to say what we want it to say. I have returned over and over and over again in my ministry uh, as a pastor to James's conclusion in Acts chapter 15. We should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. That's like one of my mottos as a pastor. We should not make it difficult for people who are turning to God. Here's what I want to say. Thinking about this in light of the, the experience of deconstruction, which is our Lenten theme. This shifting of our understanding can be quite unsettling, right? Because what seemed to be very clear, uh, to be very black and white, has kind of dissolved into confusion and um, lots of gray areas sometimes until we can kind of think about how to put it back together. So it's unsettling and painful, but I want to tell you it's a very normal part of the life of faith, and we should probably expect it. If you stick around long enough, the Holy Spirit is going to mess you up one way or another. It's, the Spirit of God is going to require something of you that you don't want to give. And we should not only expect that the Spirit is going to mess us up, I think we should actually embrace it. I think we should lean into it. I think we should ride it like a surfer rides a, a wave, which can be huge and terrifying and dangerous can sweep you off your feet and out of your control of yourself. But I think that's what the, what the life of God's people looks like. Now, there is a caution that I would give around this, and that's that we can't just descend into the chaos of everyone doing whatever they want and just saying, well, the Holy Spirit told me this is of God, right? I know some of you have been in places like that. I have at times been in places like that. And that goes bad really fast. So then we're left with the question, how do we decide? Especially when we see, when we perceive some tension between what, uh, what we observe God seeming to be doing in our midst and what we have always understood the scriptures to mean. What are we to do with that? Well, there's a number of guidelines you could use. Um, but I cut that part out of my sermon because it was getting too long. So what I'm going to do is Tuesday night uh, in our Zoom meeting, our, our deconstruction workshop, 630, um, I'm going to talk about some of those things and give you a chance to discuss them together. We're going to talk about things like the trajectory of Scripture. We're going to talk about things like the tradition of the church. And we're going to talk about things like the underlying moral logic of the Bible and, and how we can find out what that is and apply it to, to um, the changing times we live in and lots of other things. So if if you're feeling like, oh, you kind of got cheated out of the, the part that was maybe most helpful to you, please come uh, to be part of our Zoom meeting on Tuesday night at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Um, but I did leave one thing in, and I'll, I'll conclude with this, because I think this is probably the most important one of all. How do we decide what to do when we see some tension between God at work in the world, the Holy Spirit at work, and our previous understanding of Scripture? Well, we decide in community with each other. After the apostles had their arguments, after James had made his decision, they sent a delegation to the Gentile Christians who were waiting to find out what their fate was going to be. And they sent them with a letter telling them how everything had gone down at the council in Jerusalem. 
And in that letter is another beautiful sentiment that I want to share with you because I think it might be able to guide our own uh, process and understanding. It's from Acts 15, verse 28. James has explained that the Gentiles will be allowed to to be Christians without fully uh, adopting the entire Jewish tradition and law. And he says, For it has seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to impose on you no further burden than these essentials. And I'm not going to list the essentials because that's a whole other kind of can of worms that we don't really want to get into right now. I think it's a very interesting topic that we might want to talk about some other time. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. I love that so much. I love it so much because that means that we, the people of God, are charged with the responsibility to work alongside the Spirit of God to discern what's happening in the world. And perhaps most beautifully of all, now, from that moment on, the people who were formerly excluded, they are now part of the us. They're part of the we. The next time a decision is to be made by the people in the Spirit, and they have something like a council where they come together and argue it out and discern the will of God, the people who were previously excluded get to be part of that process. The table has been made bigger. There's more chairs pulled up to it. The, the people of God are now f- more fully representative of the breadth and beauty of humanity. And guess what? We are always better off when we have more marginalized voices at the table, when we have more people who can share with those of us who have not experienced as much oppression what it's like to experience it. When we have people who can tell those of us who have not been left out most of the time what it's like to be left out. When we have people who can tell those of us who haven't suffered as much what it's like to suffer. And so, we are the people of God. We get to work alongside the Spirit of God to discern and decide how to move forward when we are confused, when we're trying to apply ancient scriptures to modern day. So let's stay together. Let's be in community with each other. And may it be more true of us with each passing day, each month and year, that God's people are reflective of all the people God made. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this beautiful story from the early church. Help us to understand it. Help us to apply it. And most of all, help us to to be your people, just as the early church were your people. To open the doors to your kingdom wider, just as the early church opened the doors wider in their day. Help us to be brave and strong as we ride the wave of the Holy Spirit carrying us into new horizons, into new realities that may be uncomfortable, but which bring us closer to each other and to you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.